ideas and new technology are causing seismic shifts in the media industry. Where are we headed? What does it mean? Keep listening. Media strategist Gabriella Mirabelli talks with the brightest minds in entertainment and business. Meet the innovators, the risk takers, and the disruptors on the front lines of change from Hollywood, Wall Street, Silicon Valley, and beyond. The future is coming to a screen near you. Are you ready? This is the Up Next podcast with Gabriella Mirabelli. Welcome to Up Next. I'm your host, Gabriella Mirabelli. Today, I'm interviewing Andrea Kane. Andrea serves as director of the doctoral program in educational leadership and is an associate professor at DePaul University. She's taught, written, and consulted in the areas of empowered leadership, feminist leadership, emotionally intelligent leadership, and internally referenced leadership. Her book, Kicking Ass in a Course at Jane Austen's Six Principles for Living and Leading from the Inside Out, is the subject of our interview today. Andrea, thank you so much for joining us today. Oh, so wonderful to be here. Thank you for having me. Last month, I interviewed Will Shelton about his book on the Black and Brown experience in corporate America, and he used boxing as a metaphor. And your book, Kicking Ass in a Corset, which uses Jane Austen's characters to explore how people who are often constrained in situations, the metaphorical corset, can lead from the inside out. And it's a really fascinating counterpoint. So first, You've been working in the leadership space for a long time, and you've specialized in working with populations that have to lead under considerable constraints, education, for example, uh, women, another example. But even so, I don't think I would have ever made the Austin leadership connection. How did the penny drop for you? How did you come up with the idea? Oh, that's such a great intro question. So I'm a leadership professor and I direct a program and I work with a lot of educators who right now with COVID are experiencing a lot of constraints, but I also do a lot of consulting with organizations. And I found, because I'm a Jane Austen (laughs) obsessed fan, that while I would use a lot of real life role models, when I talked about Jane Austen archetypes, These are young women who felt lots of constraint in the patriarchal systems they found themselves. They were able to tap into an internal agency, an internal locus of control, and they didn't have to wait for the environment to change Mm -hmm. for them to be able to not just survive, but thrive and find a kind of personal freedom. And I was at a Jane Austen conference with a colleague, and I started laying out how the six main heroines really had this internally referenced leadership attribute that I was really trying to teach my graduate students and my clients and myself Mm -hmm. in my personal practice. And it sort of started from there. Well, it's certainly very smart. I'm a huge Austin fan. And I think that you're now able to really tap into that huge reader base and the Austin zeitgeist. So first, internal leadership and leading from the inside out. A lot of people may hear that word internal and think, well, that's just a fairy tale you tell yourself to make yourself feel better when you bite your tongue and you work in the background. So, So what is internal leadership? Yeah, so internally referenced leadership has to do with the ways in which we, irrespective of our work environment, our family environment, our community environment, can tap into a kind of internal power that we have. And it could be how we perceive our situation. 
It could be how we value ourselves. It could be how we choose to act on our own moral center. But there is power we have right now if we can, um, in some ways, you know, have an internal locus of control, if we can view our situation, if we can choose to act in a way in accordance with our own values that, that's always available to us. And even our own state of equilibrium or self-definition, irrespective of what's going on around us. Hmm, that's so interesting. For listeners who are thinking, well, but Austin is fiction and in fiction, the deserving can succeed. So for right. readers who are mentally crossing their arms and, um, <laughs> and you, you do weave in real life examples from people you've consulted and, and taught. Is that right? I do. I, I weave in examples all over the place. And even one of the conversations I had with the um, editor at Iowa Press, who's publishing my book right away, is he said, so Elizabeth Bennett can say no to Mr. Darcy. It's not always easy for people to quit their jobs when they have. Well, exactly. Exactly. But I think there's a way in which we don't need to quit our job to feel empowered. We, and I talk about this young woman who leads a graphic design department, who's a single mother who can't quit her job, but she ends up taking evening courses and empowering herself so that she can see herself beyond her current job and give herself more choices in the future. And that's her way of saying no to Mr. Darcy. And that's her way of improving her internal uh, personal BATNA which again comes from William Urey. And it's this idea that we can have alternatives by seeing ourselves um, in a more empowered way and having choices. Right. But you still, you're recognizing your constraints, you're witting of those constraints. You're not denying their existence, but you're saying, given these constraints, how can I rewrite how I exist in them. Is that? Yes, I think that's really important. And I'm going to go to just Eleanor Dashwood for a second, because I talk about Eleanor Dashwood problem solving resiliency. And one of the important points for me from that, again, combining Austin with the leadership li literature and the positive psychology literature, is that we need to acknowledge our constraints. We need to acknowledge that hey, we're in this hole, or we need to acknowledge that we might be working in an office where there's lots of entitlement and maybe it's very misogynistic. We need to kind of understand what we're dealing with so that we can come up with a way, a problem-solving path to kind of get to a better place. So acknowledging the constraint is really important. I think it's also important, you know, sometimes people conflate, conflate the constraint with their own worth, you know, I'm being treated right. badly, so maybe I deserve it. And by naming the constraint, we can say, hey, wait a second, I'm not the constraint. Right. So the psychological dissonance of, of what you're getting back, you, you take away the context. But let's back up a little bit. You break this style into six core principles and you use the heroines from Austin's novels. And as you say, the archetypal heroines to explain the principles. And then you weave in these real life examples of how they can be operationalized. We don't have time to cover them all. So let's just touch on two and then we can jump ahead and talk about how the constellation of principles work together and the balance paradox. So first, 
let's talk about Pride and Prejudice's Elizabeth Bennett and Universal Truths. What can we learn from Elizabeth? Yes. Well, I think for me, Elizabeth Bennett is in some ways the most important and maybe the most well-known Austin heroine, but the book starts out, it is a truth universally acknowledged. And for me, Elizabeth Bennett stands for the proposition that we need to question the so-called universal truths that are in our minds about how we should be, about what people want, about defining ourselves by what we do for other people, how we serve them or their conceptions of ourselves. And I feel like this is true, particularly for women who are raised to be obedient, compliant, the good girl, who may feel the imposter syndrome, I'm so lucky to be here. And oftentimes, yeah, they're going to find me out. I don't, I'm, exactly. I'm lucky to be, here I'm gonna be and discovered. it's all a fraud. I'm, gonna... I'm a fraud. I'm going to be discovered. I'm on probation here. And I think when we, I have this process called de-universalizing our truths. And I will take women through this exercise of what are those things that are so important that you believe. And when we actually name them and then kind of deconstruct we find that they actually come from our parents or our community or our employer or the ethos of organizations we've been a part of, and they aren't really our own. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's what Elizabeth Bennett can do because she really stands for her society devalues her being an unmarried woman with little or no dowry, but she's able to really act from this self-actualized place because she knows what she stands for and who she is. Right. I think that that separation of self from circumstance is such an important and and really foundational thing. Can you operationalize it with another example, a real life example where you have somebody, I mean, other than I understand that the graphic designer and recognizing the circumstances, but that's a, you know, is there some, can you, can you share something about somebody who doesn't define themselves the way others define them and and what they do. Yes, I I can talk about a client that I worked with who came in as a partner at a big family law firm. And her whole approach was very different than the other partners. She really tried to have a like mediation approach. She tried to resolve divorce in a way where everybody could feel human and whole all the way through, including the soon-to-be ex-spouse. And her partners were, while they brought her in, um, because she was very successful, they were very wary because they thought, oh, we need a lot of billable hours. We need scorched earth litigation. You know, what's she doing? And, And she sort of came in this kind of career crisis. Did I make the wrong move? Should I leave? You know, again, that, that unfortunately, that kind of female kind of tape recording how can I get them to like me you know Mm. Menendez the likability trap kind of stuff and we talked about constructing a kind of personalized rubric for success right instead of looking at her career through her partner's eyes through the firm's eyes what like what was success for her 
And in looking at what her goals were into resolving family disputes in this human way, looking at how the kids fared, how the spouses were able to co-parent after divorce, you know, she felt really good about what she was doing. And once she let go of what the partners thought, Mm -hmm. ironically, you know, people came to her word of mouth and she became, I think, one of the most largest contributors, you know, economically to the firm. But well, that, that actually was one of the things I was, I was thinking as you were talking, I, I was thinking about work and how the KPIs, your key performance indicators are often defined and they're hard and fast, you know, that, that this is going to reflect your remuneration. And so she can say how I feel about my value and what I want to achieve is not about billable hours, but her comp is going to be tied to billable hours. Her retention as a partner is going to be tied to billable hours. And so it's almost, you need to take a step and say, okay, this is the defined KPI. This is my personal KPI. How does my personal work into that defined? I mean, do you have to link it up or how, how does that work? Because I'm imagining if I'm a listener and I'm in a situation where I'm tasked to do something that maybe it doesn't fly really in terms of where I see the value, how do I square that? Well, I think there are a couple of, it's such a good question. And there are a couple of important nuances, I think with, and key performance indicator is such a great follow-up about this. I think one of the things Elizabeth Bennett inspires me to think about Mm. is whether or not the KPIs of an organization really reflect why I'm doing my job and what's important to me. Mm -hmm. There's that question. Right. The other question that I want to think about, um, again, I'm inspired by Elizabeth Bennett is defining my value and worth by my KPIs. Because this was another kind of the second step I had to work with this attorney on is even when she's bringing in the the numbers, so her KPIs are aligned with the firm's firm's KPIs, KPIs, right? I think when people define themselves by their productivity for their organization, you know, the head salesperson, if my value and worth is the sales I'm bringing in, even when I'm doing really well, there's always this low level anxiety. Well, what if it changes? Right. And you're always chasing that. And I think part of the story of Elizabeth Bennett is yes, key performance indicators when we're doing well, that's great, but that's not our value and worth. There's an inherent value and worth that is independent of what we're doing in our job. Uh-huh. I think that's the, the other side of it. Um, but, but I also think, and I think that this was something I said to this client, if what this firm values isn't what you value, well, maybe you can't make a move right now, maybe you want to at least open for the possibility of exploring change down the road, you know, because I right. think it's important that there, there is a kind of alignment. Right. That if this truly is her value and, right. and they are truly combative, right. fundamentally it goes to the value piece, which 
even though I said we were only going to talk about two heroines, we keep talking about values. <laughs> so let's bring her in. The heroine who really sticks to her guns about values. Danny Price of Mansfield Park, who has this really firm moral center and um and is willing again she's fictional so but she's willing to face the consequences um but i think we see people who are standing up um for what they really believe um and and even if they aren't in a position where they can like leave they are making it known kind of more and more and you see this well it's interesting even very currently we're looking at florida ron mm -hmm. desantis and right. the school board i think dr carly simon i was listening yes, to the interview with her, her. <laughs> this morning exactly. and i was thinking the same thing and she, she said superintendent right she she really she had her value, which was protecting her students. Right. She determined that the best way that she could protect her students was to, to do a certain thing and, you know, damn the torpedoes it, it, this right. is what she was going to do. And that is a very strong and hard thing to do. It's a very hard thing. And I don't think we often get to see it writ large in society. So it's, it's refreshing to see, and especially have a woman do it. Yeah, it's, you know, I was, I watched this morning and I saw the same thing and I thought, wow, what courage and how incredible to say, I don't want to contribute to a child getting sick and possibly in an ICU bed, if it exists, because the ICU, pediatric ICU beds are overrun right. on my watch and, and on the left. And then you also have the Lynn Cheney on the right, who right. stands up for what she believes in. And I think it's, really powerful to see these women again it's peter drucker i talk about the mirror test which is a classic peter drucker the leadership guru article where he talks about looking in the mirror and is that the person who has these values did i really stand for these values today and right. those are great examples right well, and how, how nice, because we have, we have these principled morals and, and standing up. And then earlier we were talking about pragmatism and acceptance and Eleanor Dashwood, but let's jump back to the counterpoint to Elizabeth Bennett. Let's talk about Emma Woodhouse from the book, Emma as a character, her circumstances are quite different from Elizabeth Bennett. An updated version of the story was the inspiration for the nineties movie clueless right. she reminds, she reminds me a bit of some young Instagram influencers actually. Very true. And, and you know, exactly. You know, and, and she's actually truth be told, she's not a very likable character. So why do we like her <laughs> anyway? <laughs> Because you do, I do, but she's, you know, she's not really likable, but I still like her. And more importantly, what are we taking away from this very different character, challenging character? Yes, Emma is very challenging. And Jane Austen said, and I may be getting this quote wrong, but I've created a character whom only I will like. Hmm. And Emma she's wrong. We all like her. <laughs> But we laugh at her, we're amused by her. She is very, and, and again, there have been philosophical treaties about Emma. 
um, we're describing her almost like a, a kind of character, a, you know, a caricature of a man in the sense that she is very arrogant. She knows everything. She is wealthy and independent. And she is this benevolent dictator type who's going to live through other people and control their lives and pull these strings. And so Emma at the very beginning of the novel is prop is either funny, amusing, but it's kind of problematic when you look at it. But it's interesting. She has this experience and there is this one character who ends up being her love interest, Mr. Knightley, who's her brother-in-law's brother, uh, which they did in those days. But he calls her out on all her BS right from the beginning. And he's kind of the only one who does it. And she has an incident where she crosses a line mm. and I call it her Pinocchio moment where she sort of, she cries. And it's like, there's a great description of her like really experiencing tears for the first time and the frailty and the vulnerability of being human and owning her stuff. Mm. And I, you know, using um, Carol Dweck's growth mindset, I talk about how Emma pre this incident is very fixed mindset. And then post this incident becomes the poster child for a growth mindset. And she kind of learns by being knocked off a perch what humility is. And then it's very interesting to look at that and look at Jim Collins in his famous book, Good to Great, and which I think started from this Harvard Business Review article. He talks about these five levels of leadership and level five is like the most effective in studying these companies. And level five leaders have this incredible combination of humility and will. Hmm. And it really isn't the big personality, larger than life, megalomaniac, narcissist, quasi-narcissistic person who's the best leader. It's a person who really has humility and will. Right. Well, you have to have a certain level of confidence to, to be that, right. to be that person. Let's now step back. So we have two principles, which we've given, we've done. <laughs> We've gone deep on these right, two principles, exactly. uh, but they seem to be on opposite sides of the seesaw. Broadly speaking, we have Elizabeth Bennett and confidence versus Emma Woodhouse's humility. And you address this paradox principle in your book. And can you walk us through how to balance these two things? How does it work in practice? Yes, I will. And thank you for that question. So one of the things that was so interesting when I was putting these principles together, working on my book, giving a lot of talks, not just to Jane Austen folks, but to leadership folks, is I found, and I don't know if you drive stick, but it kind of reminded me of the clutch and the gas in a car. Oh yeah. Okay. I like that, that metaphor. Um, Although really, kids today don't drive that way. I know, so. <laughs> I know, I know. But it's 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 like start and stop in a way. The pause and the play button of a mm -hmm. DVR. And, and maybe that's dating myself. <laughs> At least I didn't say VCR. Um, but I really felt like they worked really well together and in some ways could be seen as a, a, a paradox because as you said, Elizabeth Bennett stands for this kind of confident, buoyant confidence. 
Mm-hmm. And just knowing what you know and going for it and believing in yourself no matter what. And Emma Woodhouse, at the end of the novel, stands for this reflective humility. And, mm-hmm. you know, how could I grow? What did I get wrong? Lis- being open to listen to other people. Mm-hmm. But if you put them together, it reminded me of that level five leadership. That well, the right, leader right. Knows when to act boldly and believe in herself, but also knows when to stop and pause and reflect and create a safe space so the people who work for her and with her can say, hey, you got it wrong. And you really need that combo of both and you need to kind of use both. And maybe sometimes it's the bold, confident leader and other times it's the reflective, chastened leader who made a big mistake and needs to learn. Right. Yeah. I, I think that's really interesting getting that together. And you also talk about how this can function in teams, that you can expand out these principles into a team situation. Can you touch on that a little? Definitely. I am um, a senior advisor and do a lot of consulting with an ed tech company. And one of the things I've seen in groups that I'm with, and sometimes it's all men, um, other times it's all women, other times it's a mix, is that you have the kind of what I call the cheerleader, let's go for it. My friend, Lori, who's a consultant, talks about the leapers. Mm-hmm. And then you have the cautious, hey, wait a second, we had this problem before, we made mistakes, we overinvested the net builder. Right, right. And you sort of see people on the team who serve different roles so that the CEO who's making the ultimate decision gets all counsel. And I, you know, and I've talked to people who are the Elizabeth Bennett kind of go for it, believe in ourselves types who feel like maybe the chastened Emma Woodhouse is raining on their parade, not to mix all the metaphors. And really, if you could explain, it's just a different way of looking at the world and that it's helpful for everybody. It's helpful for the, that chastened Emma Woodhouse to have some confidence. And it's helpful for that confident Elizabeth Bennett to also maybe stop and reflect and learn. Well, and it's wonderful. And what I also like is in the title, you say living and leading. And I really believe that these principles have applicability, not only in your work leadership life, but in your life life. And certainly for women, uh, I find that I was always reading, I was like, oh, I'm going to underline this. I'm going to tab that. Uh, So this has been great. Thank you so much for sharing your time. There's going to be a click to purchase link on the episode's show notes on the podcast webpage. So thank you so much. Oh, it was such a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. And what a great discussion. We've reached the end of another episode of Up Next. I'd like to close by thanking my production team at Up Next, my friend Rob Naughton, the voice artist who recorded our open, and of course, all of you, the members of our audience. Thank you. I'll be talking to you again next time right here on Up Next.